0: Good morning. Sometimes when I think about what should we teach about, preach about, um, trying to understand what should be said, sometimes when I look out in this crowd, think about everyone who's a part of this church, I wonder how many of us really understand what it means to be a Christian. How many of us really understand what it means to follow Jesus? Are we here because we are completely committed followers of Jesus? Or is this just what we do on Sunday? Kind of part of our family tradition. Maybe a social expectation. Chuck Swindoll tells about some Christians. You may have heard this before. They were meeting in the former Soviet Union Communist government had banned any church meeting, so they were meeting in the basement of a home. When suddenly the door burst open and there were two Soviet soldiers with automatic weapons, they shouted, everyone must leave immediately, anybody who stays and does not renounce Christ will be shot. A few left, but most of that small number stayed The soldiers then shut the door, put their guns down, and said, Brothers and sisters, we too are Christians, but we dare not worship with anyone who's not an authentic believer. May we join you. Would you pass that kind of test? Would I? Are we really devoted to following Jesus? Or when that moment of truth comes for us, Whether it's somebody with an automatic weapon or maybe that moment of truth at work or that time when our convictions are put to the test, will we stand up for what's right or will we cave and compromise when it becomes politically incorrect to follow Jesus? You know, in the parable of the sower, Jesus said, some of the seed will fall on shallow soil. It will take root and it will grow for a while until the difficulty comes. But when the difficulty comes, when the pressure hits, the persecution, the trouble, it will die. It will fall away. It is my fervent desire that every one of us will deepen our relationship with Jesus. And then when we're under pressure of any kind, we will make the right choice. We will remain faithful you know the early christians were persecuted by the romans but not because of their faith in jesus because the romans believed in many gods and to have another god that was not a problem for them the problem the romans had with the christians is that those who followed jesus would say boldly jesus is the only god and they could not tolerate that so, the Christians were threatened and ridiculed, arrested and beaten in prison, and many were executed for their faith. I am concerned, and I know you are as well, with the direction that our society is headed, that we're becoming more and more pluralistic. More and more, it's hard to stand up for what is right. Now, as Christians, we should respect the views of others who disagree with us, religious views or otherwise. We should always be kind. Always be respectful. Always be loving. We should never harass someone because they see things differently than we do. We should allow others the freedom to worship or not worship as they choose. We've been privileged to live in a country where that's been possible for 200 years. But if other religions are just as good as following Jesus, think about that. That means the death on the cross was for nothing. It didn't need to happen at all. And to be frank, we're wasting a good Sunday morning being here instead of sleeping in on a rainy Sunday morning. But it does make a difference. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Peter said, salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given to men whereby we must be saved That's why for the next several weeks, next two months, we're going to be talking about studying through the book of Colossians. So I want to encourage you to open your Bible there to Colossians chapter 1. If you didn't bring your Bible, there's one in the pew you can follow along. The verses are going to be on the screen. Gabriel did such a good job of reading the text today. For this month, we're going to have our young people reading the text, just right before the sermon, just kind of uh, laying out the text. We've divided up the whole book into eight different readings, and that's going to be our lesson. And if you notice, for the summer, we've got some special things happening. We want to encourage you to be here every time you're in town, if you're not traveling or visiting Grandma or or doing your vacation, to be here. On Sunday morning, we're going to have a good textual study. And then on Sunday nights and Wednesday nights, we've got some creative things coming. You've seen the insert in the bulletin. We made an announcement last Sunday. There's times of fellowship and good food and times of prayer and times of serving. It's just going to be a, a really special summer. I want you to be a part of that. But the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to show the supremacy of Christ. So I'm calling the first part of this series, the Jesus is Lord over all. And we're going to see that in the first two chapters. Uh, The second half of the series, we're going to change that a little bit because the tone changes and the theme is going to be Jesus is Lord over me. So it's a very practical book. This is what you need to know and this is what you need to do. That's the way Paul often writes his letter. So notice in our text today, three offers that Jesus makes his followers. And these cannot be found in any other spiritual leader, any other world religion. We're going to talk about that some. But however, to receive these gifts, we must acknowledge him as Lord. So if you're filling the blank on the outline, here's the first Jesus offers a realistic hope. Let's look at the text. Look at verses three through five. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints. And then verse 5, the faith and love, and note this, that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel. You've heard the definition of hope before being shared, a confident expectation. Hope is a confident expectation expectation now all world religions will say they've got that kind of confident expectation it may be reincarnation it may be some kind of reward of seven virgins if you give your life to that cause but there's two distinctives that make jesus promise of heaven a very realistic hope the first one is this it's based on his grace and not our works It's based on his grace and not our works. Look how verse 6 speaks of understanding God's grace in all its truth. They understood God's grace in all its truth. So Paul is writing to the church then saying, you get it. You understand the grace. See, the hope of the world religions are based on your good works. They don't say it that bluntly, but, but that's what it is. About earning God's favor. You pray five times a day. You give your alms. You make your trip to Mecca. You, you go to worship. You do whatever they require you to do. And maybe you'll be pleasing to God. Maybe you'll be able to earn your salvation. But only Jesus Christ offers a salvation that's based on his works and not ours. He voluntarily died on the cross to forgive us, making us pleasing to God. To me, one of the best passages that just nails that is what Isaiah wrote in chapter 53, verse 5. Look on the screen. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. There have been several religious leaders who died a martyr's death, but none like Jesus who died a substitutionary death on the cross. And here's what we need to know because if we're not careful, we won't grasp this in our early childhood developing years, and then we may carry the wrong thinking into our adult years. Christianity is not merely allegiance to a moral code, it's not just obeying what the Bible says. It's following Jesus. It's worshiping Jesus, following him daily. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, lest anyone should boast. One man explained it like this. Imagine a convicted murderer on death row to be executed tomorrow. But tonight, his identical twin comes to visit him. And his twin Is a priest. And in that prison cell, when they're having that last visit, when no one's looking, they exchange clothes. So then the criminal is wearing the priestly garb. The priest is now wearing the prison garb. The priest remains in the cell and goes to his death the next day. The criminal walks free wearing the priestly garments. In a sense, that's what Jesus did for us. He came down to our sin-filled world and gave us his clothing, his robe of righteousness. We're guilty. We deserve to die. And he gave us salvation. And he took the penalty for our sins. The hope of heaven is realistic because it's based on his amazing grace. Not all the good that you do. Look at verses 12 through 14. Joyfully giving thanks to the Father who's qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Well, here's the second way his hope is different it's based on a demonstration and not a speculation. Again, in verse 5, he means that hope is stored up for you in heaven that you've already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel. Now, that word, the gospel, is real easy just to read over that. But that's key here. Don't just quickly read over that. The gospel is a way of saying the, the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. The gospel is good news. And it's good news because the tomb was empty. It's not just that Jesus died and buried Is that he came back to life. Remember what is unique about the Christian's hope. He's the only one, Jesus is the only one, that proved the reality of the hope by coming back from the grave. Not true of any other religious leader. That's why you remember when the women went to the tomb and they're looking for his body, the angel said, why are you looking here? He's risen. Just as he said. But all other religious hopes are basically based on conjecture. Jesus is the one who showed it by coming back from the grave. Let me ask you a question. If it could be absolutely proven to you that Jesus did not rise from the dead, would you still follow him? If it could be absolutely proven that Jesus did not rise from the dead, would you still be a Christian? I would not. I don't think you would either because that's the whole foundation of why he came. That's what separates him from all other ways of thinking. That the tomb was empty. Look what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15. He's very blunt here in, in the way he says this, beginning in verse 14. If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testify, testified about God that, that he raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And then verse 17, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. And then verse 20, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who've fallen asleep. And then verse 22, for as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. So the good news here, and I hope you're getting this, is our our hope is more than speculation. It's more than conjecture. It's more than wishful thinking. It's based on a historical fact that Jesus came out of the tomb. I mean, why put your hope in anyone else, anything else, other than Jesus? He's the only one that came back. He's the one who said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies Whoever lives, believes in me, will never die. I love the promise of Romans 8:11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His spirit, who lives in you. And that brings me to the second thing Jesus offers. He offers a positive transformation. He offers a positive transformation through the power of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 7 and 8. And Paul is writing about their love in the Spirit. Notice the wording here. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us, look at the wording there, your love in the Spirit. He told Paul about your love in the Spirit. Now, most every other world religion seeks to make people better. Following Jesus is not the only one that, that makes that claim. In India, over 90% of the people are Hindu. And yet in that country, we know this. Abraham Lincoln was just here a couple of months ago helping us to understand the, the persecution that is there. Christians can be arrested in their faith uh, in their country but for sharing their faith with the Hindu. And you go into one of their temples, and you see their idols to the many gods. But the Hindu religion does some good. They teach some good moral codes. For example, they encourage people to be faithful in their marriage. The same can be said for Islam. There's some good teaching in Islam as well. They teach their followers to be generous with their money, to be honest to their neighbor. So when people say, well, there is some good in all religions... In a sense, that's true because they do teach some good. They give some moral code of ethics, some standards to live by. However, Jesus is the only one that offers the power to live according to the Spirit, to be able to do what we should do, to be able to follow His commands. Look at verses 10 and 11. We're going to read more about this love in the Spirit. We pray, that this, we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power, according to His glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience. See, I suggest that a true follower of Jesus knows the Bible is not just a code of behavior to be followed. A follower of Jesus has the power of the Holy Spirit living within and that Spirit is constantly transforming us into the image of Jesus. So that more and more we think like Him and we respond like Him and and we understand like Him and we treat other people like Him. We love like Him. But not because we do it all right and because we've got it all right. It's because of this power of the transforming spirit. Think about the Apostle Paul. I mean, a great example of someone who was transformed by the power of the spirit. Before he was following Jesus, he was an enemy of the church. He persecuted the church. He threatened them. He arrested them. He even killed the Christians. But once he gave his life to Jesus, when he started following Jesus... He was transformed into a compassionate proclaimer of the good news. So he's writing here saying, I pray that those reading this letter will be strengthened by the power of the Holy Spirit to live lives worthy of the Lord. He's not shaming us saying, you got to do better. Come on, try harder. He's saying, if you're following Jesus, you're going to have His Spirit living in you, transforming you. Think about that. The power of the Holy Spirit to live lives worthy of the Lord. If you're on social media, do you ever have that phenomenon where you'll see a a meme or a post that gets your attention and then you're talking with somebody? Oh, I want to share that with you. And you go back and you look for it and you cannot find it. Has that ever happened to you? It was just there and then it's not. I was thinking about the one, and you've seen it when you're, you're, you're so provoked by some post or some meme, and you so want to respond, and, and the picture, and I've seen a couple of them where it said, but the Holy Spirit controlled me, and I didn't do it. I held my tongue. We can all relate to that. There's times where, oh, we so want to lash out. We so want to respond, but we think about it for a moment, and we choose not to. We decide not to. But there's so many trials much more serious than just some social media post pushing our button. Just last week, a man opened fire in a grocery store in Buffalo, New York, killing 10, injuring three. We still can't grasp that. But I I saw where one woman whose husband was murdered said she had forgiven the murderer. And do you know why? because God. She said, I know God and I can forgive because I know God. That is the transforming power we're talking about. Here's another example. Last two years have been extremely challenging for all of us in addition to all the, the sickness from the virus, the devastating deaths of some of our own. We've had some of our own lose their jobs and deal with some financial insecurity. No one wants to go through 2020 and 2021 again, but I want to remind you of some things that also was going on during that same time. So in spite of all the financial strain and uncertainty, this church, your spirit of generosity has been above and beyond. There's so many other things going on. We didn't give a lot of attention to it. But you might recall just early in the the shutdown, we as a church were able to pay off our loan finally of our family center and the auditorium renovation. We paid it off and it's like, well, there's nobody here to celebrate with because we were all just watching online. But that's a big deal. For years, we've been giving and giving and finally paid that off. But even more than that, there were these opportunities where here we are comfortable. As Chris was talking about, we were not being affected, but people just a few counties over were devastated. The tornadoes that went through Nashville all the way to Cookville. So we as a church gave $13,500. Then a little while later, we gave $25,000 for the flood relief in Humphreys County. And then we gave $50,000 to the tornado relief in Mayfield, Kentucky. During this whole time, we as a church have given $120,000, $120,000 to the Tennessee Children's Home. Did you know that? I know you were part of it. But I'm thinking, how do you explain all that kind of sacrificial giving on top of weekly meeting the budget? On top of these special contributions that always exceeded the goal? How do you explain that? especially when the years just before that were so lean in our giving that sometimes we'd have to have a, a budget shortfall contribution. Remember that? Just to kind of to break even. To me, there's no explanation for that, that kind of transformation other than the power of the Holy Spirit. We see a need. God brings that to our awareness. We're able to give sacrificially and help these other people. I think it's fantastic. We went from a a church, even as a staff, the elders were telling us back when things were a little lean, said, hey, be careful with your extra spending. Those days are gone. Y'all, we just booked a minister's retreat to Cancun. (laughs) I might be joking about that part. But hear me, I'm not bragging on you. I'm boasting in the Lord who worked through you to bless people in need. When Chris was sharing his heart about the brothers and sisters in Laos, couldn't even finish talking. Y'all, we live in palaces, palaces. We have so much food, it goes stale before we eat it. We have so much, and we have opportunities to share. That's what we're talking about the power of the transforming, the transforming power of the Spirit. Here's a third thing Jesus offers, just straight from the text, a meaningful purpose. Jesus offers a meaningful purpose as we understand God's will for us. When we understand God's will for us, we understand our purpose. Look in verse 9. For this reason, since the day we heard you, we've not stopped praying for you and asking God, look at this, to fill you with the knowledge of his will. What a prayer. Asking God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Think about that and compare that to how many people today in our culture, our day and time, are floundering, searching for some kind of meaning and purpose and identity in life. Who am I? What am I supposed to be doing? What's my purpose? And people are looking in all the wrong places. Politics and sexual identity, you name it. All in hopes of finding some direction, some purpose, some significance. Here's the truth. And Paul hammers it home throughout this letter. Jesus Christ offers us the understanding of God's plan for your life. You want to know what God's plan for your life is? Read the book of Colossians. And he will spell it out for you. Your life is not some meaningless journey to nowhere. It's not just get up and make another dollar and go to bed. God has a plan for you. Just as every thread in that tapestry has a purpose, you are created in God's image. He knew you before you were born. He knows all about you. And He has a plan for you. You know what His plan for you is? Well, I can tell you a little bit about that, just straight from Scripture. First, His plan for you is to become His child. He wants you to choose. To follow Jesus. Look at Ephesians 1 verse 5. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. That's his will for you. He wants you to be saved. He wants you to be a Christian. To be transformed more and more. You're his son. You're his daughter. You're his child. And he wants you to become like Jesus in your character. In the way you think in the way you act, in the way you make your decisions, in the way you love people. And his purpose then for you, after you have experienced that saving grace, is you share that good news as best you can, wherever you can. And that can happen in a lot of ways. That's why you often hear our elders mention in their prayers, in their comments, that our goal is to go to heaven and take as many people with us as we can. You've heard them say that. That is our goal. We never get beyond that. Look at Jesus' final words before ascending to heaven. Matthew 28, 19, and 20. You know this. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always. To the very end of the age. When you follow Jesus, you're not just accepting His grace, His salvation, that His death on the cross has is, is, is saved you from your sins. You're also signing up for a lifelong, worldwide, noble task of sharing that news with everyone. You might remember that Barrett reminded our graduating seniors of that very charge. That's, that's who we are. Not just our young people, our old people. All of us are to take the good news. And that gives our life ultimate meaning. That Jesus is the one who is our Lord. He's the Lord over all. He's the Lord over me. And if we could introduce every atheist, every skeptic, every Buddhist, every Muslim, every Hindu... Every doubter, everyone who used to be a Christian and now they're not, whatever their category, if we could share the love of Jesus with them, if they accept it, they're going to be eternally grateful. But even if they don't, we know we are pleasing the Father. Let's say that just an hour before that shooter entered the grocery store in Buffalo, New York, Or let's bring it home. Let's say an hour before a shooter were to go into Kroger in Columbia. And you get word of that. What would you do? How would you respond? If you were in the store or nearby, you would go into the store and tell everybody in there, you've got to get out, you've got to evacuate, you've got to listen to me. And people would probably think you're out of your mind. People will probably think you need to be arrested. People will probably think you're lying to them, or maybe wanting attention. They think all kinds. Of, some might believe you, but a lot would doubt and think you're kind of crazy. Maybe you're just making it up. Maybe you're just seeking attention. But if it's true, if what you know is true, it's the most loving, compassionate thing you could do. In fact, you'd go in and tell them. You'd be calling the police. You'd be finding the security guard. you do everything you can because you'd want them to know to save their lives. The message of the Gospel is that this world and all that's in it is going to cease. The Lord is coming back. But Jesus offers a rescue. He offers a plan. A way of escape. Now, we try not to mess up that message to get in the way, to botch it in any way. We try to tell people as clearly as we can, as lovingly as we can, and we hope we don't come across as somebody who's out of their mind. We hope we've got more than an hour to share the good news. But there's an urgency of the gospel. And that urgency might come across as obnoxious to some, or irritating, or maybe intolerant. And you know, if it's not true, it would be. But if it is true... How can we keep it to ourselves? How can we not? Look at the screen, Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 13. Paul wrote this. If we are out of our mind, it's for the sake of God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. And there are a lot of ways to do this. One, we could be like Heather and Chris and go to a country far, far from home. And we need people to do that. Another is something we can do right here in our own way, opportunities that God gives us. I read about a man who had been a Muslim freedom fighter in Afghanistan years ago. He graduated from their boot camp when he was 12 years old. At age 15, in combat, he severed his hand. When he was taken to the hospital, the doctors there wanted to just amputate. That seemed to be the only option. But there was an American physician who looked at his hand and said this, I think that would be an interesting case for some specialists in America. So they bandaged his hand And the doctor made provisions for him to be flown to the U.S. to have a special surgery. His hand was saved. He has about 60% use of the hand. Now, during that time, there was an extensive surgery and recovery. A Christian family stepped up to that opportunity and agreed for him to live with them. Imagine that. A Muslim freedom fighter coming to live in your home for the recovery and the therapy. He stayed with them for over a year. How would you handle that? Well, they didn't want to force their beliefs on him, so they didn't make him go to church with him. In fact, when he asked, they would take him to the mosque so he could worship. But eventually, he started asking questions about Christianity, went to church with them. He said this, I'm considering Christianity, but if I do, I think I will die. I don't mind dying, but I don't want to die a slow death if I become a Christian, I will be tortured. So he didn't. He returned to Afghanistan, but when he came back to the U.S. for for more treatment later, he became a Christian. And his host family asked him, what made you decide? Here's his response. I see a love in the hearts of Christians that I don't see in the hearts of Muslims. I see a love in the hearts of Christians that I don't see in the hearts of Muslims. Jesus said, by this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. He changed his name he took a name from the Bible. Any guess as to what it was? What name he would choose? John. He chose John because it's used by so many times by Christian people. I mean, good grief, we've got four elders named John. <laughs> John, the apostle Jesus loved. John, the apostle of love. God inspired Paul to write this letter to the church in Colossae in part to share some important doctrines, some key truths. And in true Paul fashion, he he opens his letter saying, here's some things you need to know. Here's some things you need to believe. But notice how he begins with the love of Christ. Look at verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have. The love that you have. You know, 2020-21 told us anything is that life is fragile. Don't take anything for granted. And we learn in this very brief letter that Jesus offers real hope, eternal hope. He offers positive transformation by the Spirit, and He offers a meaningful purpose in life. But the key word there, it's offer. He offers. Even in His public ministry on earth, He would say, come follow me, but He never forced anyone. And today it's the same. Jesus died on the cross for you, but it's your choice. He's offered to save you, but it's your choice. He's offered for you to live with him in eternity. It's your choice. He's offered to give you the power of the Holy Spirit, but it's your choice. This morning, if you believe Jesus is the Son of God and you're willing to confess that to others, if you're ready to be baptized, we'll help you with that. Or if we can pray for you in any way in your walk with the Lord, why not you come as we stand and sing to encourage you. The Lord lift his countenance upon.